<laughs> Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Paul.com, episode 350. This is done for Wings 4 Warriors, wingsforwarriors.org. Please go make your donation and visit our other sponsor, who I mentioned in our sponsors throughout the day, Core Security Technologies, corsecurity.com for Core Impact, the world's best penetration testing tool. Yeah, and uh, please go donate for Paul to never play that sh song yeah. on the show ever again. You love that yes. song. Uh, and my <sighs> next interview that we have on the show is someone who I don't even know how we haven't had him on the show before. Um, but uh, he is, lucky. of course, the creator of Awkward Hugs. Jason Street, the author of Dissecting the Hack, the Forbidden Network from Syngress, the creator of DissectingTheHack.com. He's spoken at several conferences, including DEF CON, Derby CON, and UConn and MECON. His life story can, can be found on Google under Jason E. Street. He is a highly carbonated speaker who has partaken of pizza from Beijing to Brazil. He does not expect anyone to still be reading this far. If they are, please note, he was chosen as one of Times Persons of the Year in 2006. Jason Street, welcome to the How's show. How's it going? It's nice to have you uh, here, finally, on Paul.com. Uh, I've seen you at several of the conferences, uh, usually while you're grabbing various body parts with a leg lifted over me, um, but that's how I like it. So, Jason, how did you get your start in information security? Uh, that's a, I started in information security uh, over 25 years ago doing physical security. Uh, and doing uh, law enforcement, which is really funny because I've actually started from the, when I do physical compromises now, I actually work on a lot of stuff that I did when I was actually trying to protect the premises. Uh, and then I got tired of getting shot at, you know, literally. And so I uh, went back into uh, physical security and then uh, I got into computer uh, desktop support and then back about ever, 13, 14 years Jason, ago. And, and just say, um? did you ever get shot at and just say, oh, it's just a mere flesh wound? No, no, no. I, I got shot at. I, got, I gave two weeks notice on that day, uh, actually. <laughs> it's go. like uh, my partner got six stitches in his forehead uh, from the coffee table that I knocked him down into uh, while they were wrestling with the suspect. So, yeah, that was that was enough for me. It's like, so, yeah. <laughs> so, uh, so you were actually responsible for security. Is that what you, you said? Well, yeah. Now, yeah. Now I'm doing it. It's like now, uh, about uh, 13, 14 years ago, I was asked to do information security uh, as a job. It's like I was doing desktop support for a bank, mm -hmm. and that's when I had the revelation I could do security, which I always loved, and I could do computers, which I also loved, and no one shot at me. So it was like awesome, win, win, win. Nice, nice. Um. So, so what do you do now, as far as your day job? Uh, now well, my day job is I'm assistant vice president of information security for a national financial institution. It's like my night job, it's like I'm chief chaos coordinator for NetroGuard and senior partner for Krypton Security, where I do the pen testing and the, and the red. I do mostly, I'm 80% blue team, about 20% red team, so I'm sort of like a purple team kind of guy. <laughs> gotcha. you, you, and, and you know what the difference between pink and purple is, right? Uh, yes. No, <laughs> not really, but, you know, I'll act like it because it's so come on. <laughs> it's the grip, of course. It's the grip. Mm. So, Jason, what are some of the projects? Duly noted. What are some of the projects you've worked on uh, recently? One of the, uh, the projects uh, that were really cool, uh, it was one of the, actually it was the most evilest thing I've ever done on an engagement. I felt really bad about it. I honestly felt bad about it. Uh, I was doing a financial institution in Jamaica, in Kingston, Jamaica, 
And those people are extremely paranoid and suspicious down there. And they wanted me to do a physical compromise at their main headquarters. And their main headquarters is like Fort Knox. It's like, I mean, it, 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 it's very uh, scary. So that's hard. And I don't like hard. So uh, they have a charity organization that's part that's on the same network as their corporate network so therefore they were in scope <laughs> so i call the uh i have my uh the assistant guy that was helping me it's like he called them acting like my assistant because i was a tv producer from america doing a documentary on corporations doing public good and uh good into the community and uh so then i got on the phone with them told them that my plane's leaving at six o'clock in the morning i just heard about them at dinner last night i have to meet with them because they're doing such wonderful work they have a charity run scheduled the next month and stuff you know and i wanted to talk to them about it so we could film it uh so i go down to their office it's like i talk to them about what i'm doing how i'm doing it uh i asked like can i speak to the, the who's your top guy so i get the ceo of the uh the board of the charity organization who's also used to be on the board of the corporation which is my ideal target and I talked to him, and we're having this meeting. They're so accommodating. And I show him, I've got a USB drive, which is a, is a rubber ducky and stuff, you know, to just plug into his computer to show him the video clips of some of the shows that I've done. Well, for some reason, the video didn't run and stuff, you know, but there were some messages coming up because it was loading what I, I put on the drive. And so they uh, contacted the, their desktop support team and stuff, you know, and had them look at it. I compromised that guy's machine. And the worst part was I had to go back into that meeting for 15 minutes and explain to these people about how they were going to be on TV because they're such great humanitarians and such wonderful work that they're doing. And halfway through, I was believing the stuff, you know, it was like, it was going to be an <laughs> awesome show and stuff, you know, and I was like, yeah, we'll have the cubes transition out to the people on the street and how you help them. And, and, you're, and the lady gave me a book on the charity. There was a book about her and the charity organization that she works for. And I felt just so horrible. And usually, cause I don't do like actual like pen testing, uh, red team engagements. I do social awareness exercises. Uh, one of the things that I do is like once I break into a place and I compromise them, I usually then leave the building for two minutes and come back in and then talk to the people that I compromised to let them know they have a real life lesson of this is what happened and this is what would, a bad guy would do. I get down to the uh, to the curb. It's two minutes. The driver comes over and stuff, you know, and he says, like, are you going to go up and talk to him? I'm like, dude, I can't face them again. Let's drive. <laughs> it's like, and I had to call the client and tell the client, it's like, I can't face those poor, awesome, wonderful people again. You have to tell them what happened. It's it's bad. <laughs> so but that was that was one of the latest things that I've done. It's like I'm about to be doing another uh, job in Beirut soon, so I get here Yikes. and there. Yikes. You go to some dangerous that's some dangerous places, dude. Oh dude, the first time in Beirut it was hilarious. Oh, so you've been to Beirut my, and you made it out alive. That's an accomplishment. Yes. Well, it be first of all, let me let me pre uh, uh, preface it with Beirut and Lebanon is a beautiful country, and the people are so awesome. And my friend Khalil actually invited me over and stuff, you know, the first time I went over. And one of the things that he told me was, dude, there hasn't been a car bombing in four years. Get over it. It's not like that. So I get to, to Beirut, Lebanon. It's like it's a great, gorgeous place and stuff, you know. It's like we're having fun, and we're taking pictures, and there's a picture of me on the Internet and stuff, you know, with all these guns looking like, oh, look how cool I am. The next day, there was a car bombing. And he was right, because the news said there hadn't been a car bombing in four years. <laughs> so we're getting out, like, uh, and so Sunday, they have the funeral for the statesman that was assassinated, and we're actually having to check Twitter 
because I'm leaving the next morning, but there was a, there was gunfire and rocket fire exchanged between the militia and the military and stuff. So we were actually checking Twitter to make sure that the gunfighting had died down so I could make it to the airport. Wow. Jeez. Oh, so What's that was the, fun. Uh, and I don't know how much work you do in other, other countries, uh, Jason, but you mentioned Jamaica and Beirut. Uh, how are the attitudes different when uh, it comes to physical security between the U.S. and, and other countries? Um, oh, yeah. Carl, I'm sorry. Carlos, Carlos is here with us, too. Carlos, how are you? Doing good. Welcome. Hey, Carlos. Hey, dude. Um, I, I will tell you that it's, like it, it all dep- it, it's human nature. It's like, and that's, that's really something when you go past it. It's like in the cultural boundaries and stuff, you know. It's just basic human nature. We don't question if, there, if you're perceived that you're supposed to be there. I mean, I broke into a, a financial place in Beirut. I'm behind the teller line. And I've got the video on my iPad mini. I'm behind the teller line in Beirut, Lebanon, twirling in the chair with a leather jacket on that says DEFCON and Thundercat tennis shoes. And all I did was tell them that I was with IT from headquarters, uh, looking at the computers. And I, I don't, I don't speak French. I don't speak Arabic, which are their main languages. I don't blend well. But why would you know? They just expect it. You know, it's like, it's like they, they're actually, and one, one of the branches that I stole stuff from, they were actually expecting an IT guy there. So I actually had to look at the computer wow. and stuff. You know, start looking at the computer and going, oh yeah, we'll get you a new one. And then the, the guy said, well, the manager was like, oh, oh, well, then hold on. There's another problem with the scanner over here. And I was like, okay, we'll get you another one of those, too, and stuff, you know. <laughs> and he goes like, and then he goes like, oh, and the monitor, we'll get you another monitor. And so it was, this one was so bad because this was this part of the engagement I was supposed to get caught. Usually at the end of the engagement, I pick a place to get caught at so that it ends on a positive note. It gives some teachable lessons. But they weren't catching me, so it was just getting worse and worse. And so finally, we had to wait for the bank branch to close, and I got everybody around. All the employees gathered around. The guy was translating in Arabic, so everybody would understand perfectly about how horrible this was, about what was going on and what I was doing, and I was being a bad guy, and I should never have been able to have all the stuff that I did. And the manager, I kid you not, interrupts me with the saddest puppy dog eyes going, you, we're not going to get the equipment. Then I want my new computer. And I'm, like, and I'm like, no, I lied to you. I was a bad guy. I was, and he just like, I felt like I kicked a puppy. I felt horrible. <laughs> it's like, but yeah, it's like that was that was one of the weird things. People just expect uh, everything to go about their business. It's like uh, the reason why social engineering engagements are so effective is not like all the skill of the attacker is because people don't want to assume that bad things are happening. So if you give them a plausible reason why something weird is going on, it is easier to believe that than something bad is occurring. It's like, and that's what they want to believe. They want to believe that everything's okay. So as long as you give them something plausible to believe, they'll usually go for that. What are the other organizations that you've tested that, uh, that do really well? What are, what are some of the tactics they employ? Uh, organizations that have actually succeeded or, or, yeah, or passed? Like, yeah, like what hasn't you had happened to... yet. <laughs> are, are there any things that really trip you up that people do, do well that trip you up? I think the most thing that people can do is, uh, and this is one of the biggest things, and this is on our industry, our industry needs to do better at this, is to communicate to the users, every single employer company, they should know by heart 
the number to contact if, see, if they see something suspicious. If they see a suspicious email, if they see a suspicious link on a website, if they see a person that doesn't belong in there, they should have a number to call saying, I want to report something suspicious. And no matter how many times there's a false positive, they should be treated with respect and, like, and show that it was a valuable asset so that they will keep doing, giving that information for when an actual attack occurs. Uh, that's one of the biggest things. It's like it's people just reporting. Uh, there's something unusual. I was breaking into a government facility in Virginia, and the, uh, the lady looked at me, and she thought it was weird. And she kept going, and she let me into the building and stuff. But then she went and talked to someone, and I had and I had already installed. I, I while she was doing that, I was installing uh, malware on, onto three different uh, uh, computers, so I was successful technically. But what I did, and that's when when I started doing this, is like I decided I could either get out the door and say, "Yeah, I won," and broke them, or I could keep going further and see how they respond and see if they catch me and what happens when they catch me or how will they catch me. And so I actually kept going. And yes, the lady did do right. She called security. She knew who to call. And the guy, you know, caught me. Um, now, go now, ahead, Larry. Uh, so, Jason, one of the, the things that, that I learned from you after seeing one of your DEF CON presentations that I have used to great success has been the, you, you got to sort of just make it people believe that you belong where you are. And one of the, the easiest things to do that when someone passes you in the hallways to say. What's up? Or, hey, how's it going? Or, hey, how's it going? Yep, that too. Hey, how's it going? And that's it. And, hey, how's it going? Just keep walking. Hmm. It has uh, yep. served me well on more than one occasion. <clears throat> so it, it's, it, it, well, see, the other reason why, it's, it's a casual statement of, like, greeting, but it's also sort of like you're, you're questioning them. Right. So that puts them on a receptive mode, like, oh, he's asking me a question. It's like, how can I ask him a question if he's asking me a question? He feels comfortable asking me a question. So, Jason, is most of your uh, social engineering in the social aspect, or do you get into some of the physical uh, security where you actually need tools and stuff? Uh, no, I try to avoid all tools. I, I am not in any way, shape, or form anywhere close to being a social engineer or a professional social engineer. I do this stuff for fun. There are so many other people out there way more talented than I am at this stuff. Uh, I tell people when I give my talks, and I, I preface it with this stuff is so easy, even I can do it. Um, I, will, I, I have lock picks. I've never used them. Uh, I've used airplanes. Uh, paper airplanes to uh, push through the door to uh, activate the motion sensor. I've used cardboard. I circumvented a, a million-dollar security system at a research facility by using the pin cap that I stole from the receptionist. It's like, so I don't use so, any kind so of advanced did, tools or techniques. I just, I just go in and try to do bad things. So how did that work with the pen cap? I got to know. It was awesome. It's like it was so hilarious because it's like there's a door and it, and it locks and there's a rod sticking out uh, from the door frame and the door closes and the rod comes in. You know, this oh, is yeah. Paul.com, so you, you got to visualize. And so when I saw that, I was like, man, if only I had something, you know, to, to go over that, you know, it's like some kind of nice, you know plastic condom, uh, so to speak. And so I remembered that I just stolen the pin cap. So I take the pin cap off. It fit perfectly. And so now the door shuts, but it doesn't latch. Ah, uh, I see. Nice. So, so for those of us who are generally not allowed to break into banks, how, how do you suggest people will get started in this kind of thing? <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, so uh, how to do it with permission? It's like, uh, 
I, I find a company that there's a lot of good companies out there that do uh, do a lot of uh, physical uh, pen testing that that are uh, more of the red team variety. Uh, Lairs does it. I know. Uh, uh, I'm pretty sure that Trusted Tech does it. It's like uh, NetroGuard does it. It's like there's a lot of uh, Krypton Security, of course, does it. It's like there's a lot of companies out there that are doing it. It's like see if you can find a position and stuff, you know, to start off on those. Uh, I got lucky. I started doing social engineering because I was practice reading it for the, my third book that I'm writing, and I was doing research on that aspect of it, and then I started doing a talk from what I gathered, and then people started going, hey, can you go do this stuff? And I was like, sure, let me go do it, and it's like, and it turned out that I was actually halfway decent at it, and so I just, I mean, it's taken off from there. Very cool. Uh, so now, uh, Jason, you're, you're working on a TV show, is that correct? Yes, uh, I got an update a week or so ago. Um, I'm working on. All right, first of all, I'm working on a, a television show. It is a news-based show. It's like 60 minutes with MythBusters and a dash of Duck Dynasty because I'm going to be on it. So um, <laughs> it's like basically what we do. The premise of the show is we take one news story, one security aspect or article or. Uh, even culture and stuff in the hacking and information security community, and then we bring people on to talk about it. If we're talking about a vulnerability in the healthcare system, then we'll bring uh, a uh, a vendor who's uh, who's responsible for that product and ask them, like, why are these default passwords hard coded? Then we'll bring the hospital people that actually have to use that product and ask them what they think about it. Then we'll bring a law enforcement agent on. Then we'll bring a, a hacker on. So you know, the underground market. What? How do they see this issue? And then we'll actually at every episode we'll end it with an actual researcher or security guy from the community and stuff. You know, who's actually demoed doing it live, and they will actually break that technology, showing that it is real and that it is a real threat. Uh, so every episode will have a lot of interviews, a lot of different sides of the issue, but it will end with actual showing a demonstration to the public. This is why this is bad. This just happened. That's really cool. Oh, uh, but 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 the but the update yeah, is the update? Uh, I talked to the uh, pro uh, producer, the guy who produced the pilot. The pilot's already been seen at the network. The uh, a network has paid for the pilot to be done. A private pilot. Um, they the internal team, the small group of the internal team, have seen it and liked it uh, and now that they're uh, they're going to show it to the wider based uh, internal team next month and that's when I should get a yes or a no I can't say anything about what production companies or, or in networks involved in it uh, publicly right now but but yeah it's it's looking pretty good very cool excellent excellent so uh, one of those sort of hacker culture things are you going to cover scene whores by any chance well, uh, I might do a cover on me. I'm not sure. Um, it's like uh, I, I think that'd be a little too narcissistic for it to be just about me. But no, I'm, uh, no I, I think uh, what I want to do is I want to definitely do an episode on hacker culture and, and hacking culture. It's like uh, my talk I'm doing next year uh, braces a little bit about that because uh, I talk a little bit about the hacking history uh, in my next talk, and it brings up Leonardo da Vinci. Uh, who was a hacker? Uh, Tesla, who was a hacker. Uh, so uh, I mean, all these people were hackers. It's like people that I'll think outside the box. Uh, I want to bring up uh, the, some of the stuff that happens at DefCon, like uh, Blood Code, uh, where 174 people donated blood uh, this last uh, DefCon. Uh, hackers for Charity. It's like all these other the EFF, all these other groups that are doing. This is what hacking is. Hacking is not criminalization hacking is exploring and trying to make something do something that it wasn't supposed to do before hacker shouldn't be a dirty word or something that you lose your fourth amendment rights over oh don't get me started on that one i'm sorry 
My, my daughter today made me the proudest dad in the world by introducing me to one of her fellow students by saying, hey, this is my daddy. He's a hacker. Very nice. Very nice. That's what uh, our six-year-old told the uh, computer teacher in kindergarten a couple weeks back. Oh, <laughs> like, very cool. Great. I can't wait for the next well, it's a lot better than what It's a lot better than what she used to do. I mean, she actually got in trouble on the bus one time, like last year, when she told everybody that her dad was a ninja. So, because I say <laughs> that a lot around the house, it's like, I'm a ninja. And it's like, and that's when I sneak up on them and stuff. And so they actually were like, and I, I never corrected them when they, you know, they called me one. But now I had to, like, you know, just stick to the hacker part of it because I don't want, you know, sword fights going on in the house. <clears throat> nice. <laughs> Why not? What's, wait, what's wrong with sword fights in the house? I'm just supposed to do that outside. Because I got, I got a lot of swords. <laughs> um, real swords. <laughs> oh, re yeah, real swords would be bad. Losing appendages is not yeah, fun. I have about a hundred of spears, swords, daggers, and axes all over the house. It's like mostly in the, the, the den and the formal room. In the, in the kids' playroom, you know. Uh, survival of the fittest at uh, Jason Street's house. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So, uh, Jason, you said you're working I, on the... You're working on your like I explained to my wife, it's like uh, we never go to bed angry. There's there's too many weapons to prevent yeah. that. So <laughs> So there's uh you said you're working on your next talk. What can you give us a little bit of a preview as to what that would be? Yeah, my my next talk, I love weird titles. So my next talk is called Around the World Nady Cons. Uh, and what I basically do, and uh, I'm going to be sending out an email to some people. It's like I've I've been blessed, and I am so fortunate to be able to have traveled, actually around the world, uh, Asia, uh, Cairo, uh, Europe. Uh, I mean, all these different places. But I don't just go just to go to the conference. It's like I go and I stop into the city. I talk to the hackers. I try to see what they're talking about, what they're learning, what their culture's like. And it is so unbelievably different and rich and varied. Than it, like than like it is just here in America. America, there's different sections of, of this country and stuff. You know, where hacking means something different uh, to be a hacker. It's like the hardware hacking, the privacy rights a activism. Uh, there's just different kinds of cultures and stuff. You know, in different parts of the world. And I think a lot of people that don't get that opportunity to go and see these other conferences and see what they're about, uh, I just want to do like a little talk on talking about, first of all, this is what a hacking is, this is what a hacker is, this is the culture, this is where we came from, and this is what uh, hackers mean in these different parts of the world. Well, what are some of the more interesting people you've, uh, you've talked to um, over the world about hacking? What are the, some of the more interesting aspects of that uh, on an international scale? I think one of the, the most uh, one of the most eye-opening ones was actually I was in uh, Beijing talking to the lieutenant of the cyber police force of Shanghai, and they are responsible for all the hacking uh, cases in uh, China. And this guy practically wanted to cry on my shoulder. He was just so defeated with all the with the with the way that there's so many different attacks that they can't respond to. They can't respond to attacks unless it's over three million yuan of loss. Wow. It's like because there's just so many of them. And they're so dependent on the colleges to help them with this stuff because they're short staffed and some of the college students are the ones that are actually creating the attacks. So this guy <laughs> was just so frustrated with it. And then you've got uh China Eagle. Uh, I met him I threw a conference in two thousand and nine in, in Wuxi, China 
And I met China Eagle. He's the guy who did Titan Rain back in 2003. You know that. You know, so uh, that's why I'm on a lot of different watch lists, and now y'all are too. Um, and it's like I was talking to him, and one of the things that he was upset more than anything else about is the fact that so many Chinese uh, youth and hackers and stuff, you know, were resorting to cybercrime. Instead of being patriotic hacking, they were doing it for the crime. They were creating proxies and botnets and selling them off as a proxy front to Russians and Carters and stuff, you know, that were trying to do uh, credit card theft. And so, and he was very upset about that. And another thing about China Eagle, it's like we see him as like the big boogeyman and stuff, you know, that, that attacked the Pentagon. He's like the Johnny Long of China. He implements computer systems and brings in networks and stuff, you know, to a lot of schools in the rural area in the, in the, we in the uh, west of China. It's like, so he's a really great humanitarian guy. So, you know, he's just patriotic for the wrong side, I guess, you know, depending on what <laughs> side you're talking about. <laughs> well, we look forward to that talk, uh, Jason. Uh, uh, very, uh, very important uh, uh, that I want to ask you our five questions. I don't know if you're familiar with okay. our, our five questions, but I'm going to ask you five questions, and all you have to do is answer them. It's as simple as that. Okay. Actually, I'm okay. going to ask you six questions. How much Pepsi do you drink in a day? I gotta know that first. I, 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 I've cut down. I'm down to like maybe, uh, two two liter bottles and maybe only four or five cans a day. <laughs> okay, and that's what you're down to. You're cutting back. Yes. Okay. You ready to play five questions you, with Paul.com? If, if you cut, if you cut me, I fizz. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Question number one: Three words to describe yourself. Um. Adorable. Uh, awkward and ignorant. What if, about huggable, dude? If you were a serial killer, what would be your weapon of choice? A artificial sapphire knife. In a game of ass grabby grabby, do you prefer to go first or second? Uh, with you, Paul, go any which way you want. <laughs> that's, that's a pretty good answer to that one. I like that. If you were to write a book about yourself, what would the title be? Oh, my God, I really did that. Stranded on a desert island. Which tablet would you bring with you if you could choose only one? Android, iPad, or Surface? Um, well, that's a difficult one. I'll make it an iPad as long as Angelina Jolie could be the iPad, uh, iPad stand. No. <laughs> Whoa. Oh, very nice. Very nice. I see what you did there. Um, brought a hot chick with you. So you're the second guest to bring hot chicks into the equation being stranded on Desert Island. Congratulations for that. You're in good company. The first one was uh, bearded. Spaff. Spaff. It was, uh, Eugene, Dr. Spafford. Eugene, Dr. Eugene Spafford. Oh. The Dallas Cowboy cheerleader team with him. So, uh, props I'm not to, greedy. Props to you, my friend. Um, uh, where are you speaking next? Where can we come watch, uh, watch you speak? Uh, thanks for being out. I'm, I'm speaking at uh, Route 66 Con in Oklahoma City. I We've heard got about some that. great people showing up there. Uh, Dave Kennedy's going to be there, Dual Core, Serbo, Heavensink, Corey Kennedy, James Costello. I mean, there's a lot of awesome talent that are, that are making their way in. So, uh, and Ralph Echemendia is going to be there too. So, uh, he worked with uh, Oliver Stone on the movie uh, uh, Savages. So, yeah, there's going to be a lot of good talent here. Excellent, excellent. Jason, thank you very much for appearing on Paul.com. Uh, thank you for having me. I appreciate it. I enjoyed it. Take care. I hope to see you soon.